Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I am Kim. I'm John. And today we are saying happy birthday to the host with the most. Me! Yeah, that's right. It is Kim's birthday episode this week. And so I so selfishly curated this week's episode. We are talking the Adams Family and the Adams Family Values. Yeah, that's right. Slightly less selfish than my my David Lynch duo, but... Still pretty selfish, I have to say. (laughs) fucking selfish of you. So we went a little spooky fun this week. Hopefully you have revisited these movies. If not, definitely check them out. They are fun. They are funny, silly, goofy, and a little morbid. Yeah, they're classics. Surely you've seen them. but they're 90s worth, classics. <laughs> they're worth revisiting. Oh, totally. Before we get started, though, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, we just got back from the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. We are headed back again. Yeah. We are not done yet. We are... Um, Taking a little break, you know, getting a little sleep, eating some real food again, and we will be back again next weekend, but we had the the opportunity to check out a whole bunch of films, and there's tons of reviews hitting the website this week and next week and throughout the rest of July, so you can check those out. Uh, We caught Nightmare Cinema, the horror anthology, Tales from the Hood 2, another horror anthology. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see Feel Good to Evil, the other horror anthology, but there's there's a bunch this year. Yeah, so review. Views on the site. We also have uh, Dolls La Broom. We have The Night Eats the World, Cold Skin. Oh, yeah, the mermaid movie. But yes, yeah, so there's a ton of reviews from Fantasia hitting the website now. Check those out. Keep an eye on all of the new horror and genre films that'll be hitting later this year. And there'll be tons more coming. We have a whole other round of films to check out. So Yeah, and we, f- we saw the final cut of Unfriended Dark Web. We we caught it originally at Overlook. There have been some changes, and that hits theaters tomorrow. If you're listening to this the day the podcast drops, it is out this weekend. You should definitely check it out if you like found footage. It's not even that. Like, I was going to say, you guys know that how much that I love found footage and how I'm always praising it. Yeah. But... Uh, so don't take my review with a grain of salt. It is a really great film, and it, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, the, the paranormally aspect. This one, it is very creatively done, and it uses the, uh, screen medium in a way that I didn't, I didn't have such high expectations for it, and it, it's really, it's a really great multitasking film. You're, mm. there's a lot to watch simultaneously. It's great. It's such a fun movie. Yeah. One of the, one of the, smartest uses of technology in the last little while. But yeah, we've got a ton of reviews on the website. Uh, more to come. If you're interested in what to look out for in the next, in the coming months, what horror is on the horizon, head over to NOFS Podcast, check out our reviews and our full coverage. 
And if you are in Montreal, going to Montreal from Montreal, we will be back. Please hit us up. Let's catch up for a beer at the neighborhood pub. We'll talk movies. We can catch a screening, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, send us a message on social media. John and I love catching up with people and um, being social. And being social. Says somebody who's not social <laughs> Exactly. <at all. laughs> I'm trying, John. <laughs> yes, we like to do your human social interactions. <laughs> Would you like another human carbonated beverage? <laughs> Mine made me sleepy. But before we get into this week's movies, we do have some new Patreon supporters to shout out. Jonathan? Yes, of course. Uh, this week, we we danced the mamushka. It was taught to us by our Kazakh cousins, if I remember correctly. We danced the mamushka Waterloo. We danced the mamushka for Jack the Ripper. And this week, we danced the mamushka for Sauna, Jay, Matt, and Malcolm. Welcome to the family, guys. And thank you so much for your support on Patreon. Hey! Hey! <laughs> yeah, exactly! <laughs> You can support Nightmare on Film Street for as little as $1 an episode. And all summer, as a new patron to the show, we'll get a free Cinema Cemetery enamel pin. In addition to the rewards for each tier level, there's a whole bunch of perks, including shoutouts on the show, like this one, Twitter shoutouts, bonus content, episodes, merchandise discounts, swag. There is a ton of fun perks over at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. But without further ado, let's get into some Adam's family and some Adam's family values. We've attempted to contact Fester in the great beyond, and for 25 years, nothing. I'm beginning to think my brother truly is lost. Now, what about the gold? They got this fault. You shave your head, we dress you up. No problem. They'll think he's Fester, the long-lost brother. I hope so, Mr. Alford, for your sake. It's foolproof. It had better be. Adam's Family from 1991, currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 3.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I have a bone to pick with Ebert on this one. I kind of have a bone to pick with Ebert, too. Does he not like fun? (laughs) That's what it is. Sounds like he doesn't like fun. (laughs) It sounds like he gave David... Cronenberg's Crash, a higher rating than he gave the Adams family. Good, wholesome, family macabre. I understand, Ebert. So what what you really want instead of a good, fun afternoon is a bunch of crazy people having sex with each other in car accidents. Okay. (laughs) For whatever reason, the Crash is the one that comes to mind, because I did watch an interview with him recently where uh, he really defended that movie, which is good. I think it's a good movie. It's weird. We're here to talk about Adam's family. We're here to talk about Adam's family. Now, I mean, if you're in a dark screening room, probably by yourself with maybe 10 other press people and no one's laughing, sure, maybe this is weird. But good God, I saw this movie as a kid and went, oh, I'm alive now. Like, yeah, yeah. I have something dark within me has awoken. Yeah. I'm home. Yeah, within like those first opening minutes the we've got carolers coming to the house and a family super happy to see them pouring hot tar on them i was so on board that's so surprisingly dark for the tone of the rest of the movie that's straight out of the comic that clip there but they're kind of just delightfully morbid the rest of the movie but you forget that they committed murder murder definite murder they they tarred some children. They can't even deny it, because, like, the rest of the movie, if you're paying attention, and, I mean, I've been watching this movie for 20 years, this is the first time I saw it, there are splashes of black tar on the front of the house. Because they definitely murdered those children, and that occurred at the beginning of the yeah. movie. What if that's why Lurch doesn't talk? Because he's just so... Well, because like, he probably has to clean up corpses a lot. And it's just ruined his soul. 
No, I think he's down with it. You think Lurch is okay with yeah. it? Yeah. He just puts it into his organ playing? Like, but this is weird. what fuels my music. Because you would definitely call Lurch an Adams. Like, he's definitely an Adams, which means, like... He's family that they've designated yeah, as, like, like, you do our work. <laughs> they have a lot of money. They're a very wealthy family, but they just employ, like, one of... He's almost in, like permanent servitude does lurch take time off does he get to go see movies like no he was up first thing in the morning in that greenhouse bug spraying when <laughs> mom was there like poor lurch doesn't get a day off although he does have custom tailored outfits i assume so he's probably got he's probably got his wealth of cool outfits yeah he's he he does not he's want quite broad shouldered <laughs> That alone, right? That could bankrupt a man. Like, having to have all of your outfits tailored when you're that big. I always imagine that a guy like Lurch and in other families... I've never seen Downton Abbey, but I'm like, Downton Abbey, that the help live there with you Mm -hmm. and grow old and have children alongside you. Like, it's kind of like family friends, but there is... There is I don't a... think they grow old and have their own families. I think well, their sh- family is your family. You don't think they have kids? You don't think Lurch's dad was taking care of Gomez's dad? Maybe. Yeah, but his family is different. He's family. Yeah. Like, He's not real family, though. Oh, Are we deciding this right answer. now? I don't have an answer for this. We're gone, we've gone down a weird hole. Because <laughs> who is he? Is he somebody's uncle? Nobody refers to him as Uncle Lurch. They just go, Lurch. No, he plays the piano. How is that a clue? What does that, what does that give away? Like, mm, yes, uncle's piano, of course. I don't know. Is he performing for them? Or is he taking the night off and playing the piano in the living room for fun? He's part of the same. Or they're like, oh, we're winding down by the fire, and they're like, Lurch, play us a tune, and he's like, my fingers are bleeding. (laughs) I just so badly want to put these size 18 feet up on a chair. Oh, okay, so (laughs) the Adams family. Yes. Uh, first film, we follow the Adams family mm-hmm. and the hijinks they get into when Gomez's lawyer You're having a hard time with this plot. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes. Like Gomez's lawyer is running out of money, so he's trying to scam Gomez. Yep. And this kind of opportunity lands in his lap when one of his former clients who is coming back for money he owes. I don't know if it's has former a client. I think she's a loan shark. Oh, well, yeah. she has a son who looks Quite a lot like Gomez's missing brother, Fester. Yes. So the plot is that he was the oldest brother. If he returns, he is the heir to the Adams' fortune. They can force them out and take all the money as long as they know where the doubloons are hidden, which proves oh, right. to be Most more... of this movie is them trying to find doubloons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he had walked around with a metal detector, I'm saying that now, but there is a canal underneath the house, like a full-on Venetian canal. Well, and it's, it is governed by fantasy logic, so... Mm. Let's, let's just take that fantasy logic and assume that it is absolute truth for a minute. They put way more concern into figuring out which is the right lever to pull and not finding the fucking map to go through that cavern. You think they have a map to their house? I don't think they have a map. Maybe That's not, the whole point. Maybe not like the house, but... Willy Wonka's journey on that crazy-ass boat. Oh, well, okay. Well, There's how, no map. How you don't do know you which get... way you're going unless you're Willy Wonka. How do you get from that fantastical slide over to, like, the mountain of gold? Fantasy logic. On the other hand, it you is... You ride the waves of fantasy logic. <laughs> it's at least one record length away, so it's really not that far. One side of a record. Fantasy logic, Kim. Get on <laughs> that board That was just a it. very specific point that you were making, and I was like, I'm not on boat with you in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen this movie a few times. Well, I guess you were no stranger to the fact that this is your preferred... Oh, yeah. Of the two films. Oh, yeah. I'm going to die on this hill. So... Because you'll kill me, <laughs> but... So let's talk. What What is it about Adam's family that, that you love so much? What is it about the first one? Not that I don't think it's great. I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just starting a dialogue. Sure. <laughs> it's it's super macabre. I absolutely love it. I think it's it's genius that we take a normal, regular family as though you would any other nuclear family, but you put them in macabre interests and sort of the dark elements rather than, you know, golf and white shirts. They're interested in slimy creatures and like explosions. Golf. You're right. He <laughs> golfs a lot. <laughs> And I was going to say, but he doesn't wear stuffy shirts. Gomez Adams is the most tailored man in this whole movie. But yeah, they're giving their kids cigars. They're they're interested in torture. Um, 
And it's it's just like everything that you're not supposed to like. And they're as appreciative of it and excited and wanting to share it as a normal family would want to share finger sandwiches and a nice manicured lawn. I just love that you said finger sandwiches. <laughs> like, what kind of finger sandwiches? Tell me about these finger sandwiches. They sound great. I, I like them both, but I think what sets the, the first Adams Family apart, because they're very much the same family in both movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'll, I'll say, Wednesday's got a much better role in the second one, but it's not as zany and campy. It's just a dark comedy. I think I also like the the storyline with Fester and a con artist and how even he has lost who he was. And it's it's about not only getting Fester back to the family, but about getting Fester back to himself versus finding Fester a wife who won't kill him. It's just, it seems like less of a kid's movie to me. Okay. And it's not like I can't like a kid's movie, but The Addams Family just seems so much... I, keep, I, I don't want to say darker... But it seems like it's handling its material a little more seriously than than it is in the second movie. If I could boil it down to one sentence, I guess it's that it is a quirky movie that's a lot of fun versus a comedy that is very funny and also quirky at the same time. Yeah. Whereas, like, I love this movie. I think it's a great movie. But I do... I do think it it spends a lot of time in service of defining who the Adamses are mm-hmm. versus exploring any kind of plot arc. Okay. So I think a lot of the movie has um these traditional, you know, like Adams family one-liners and a lot of the the gags and scenes are kind of stitched together to make the whole movie in service of like we haven't had anything Adam since the cartoon in the yeah. 60s and then there's this film so they're kind of having to redefine who the Adams family is to a generation like the 90s was really full of these like we're adapting the things that you loved as a kid for your kids yeah because was... we're not doing that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know it's just an official cycle I get it but they had to teach kids who the Adams family were like I yeah. this is like everybody's defined by who their bond is Morticia <laughs> Mort- Angelica Houston is my Morticia yeah Raul Julia is is my Gomez. That's right. Um, Wednesday is Christina Ricci is my Wednesday. I said Wednesday is my Wednesday because Christina Ricci just is my Wednesday. Agreed. Um, so they kind of had to show us who the Adams family were. The second one, they really get to play in that universe. Like, what is a campy sitcom version of a day in the life of the Adams family? Because mm-hmm. they didn't need to be like, oh, Wednesday so goth it hurts. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's just like um. I'm going to kill Pugsley. And then we have a scene of like, I'm going to kill Pugsley. And you're like, haha, success. I think it's great. And it plays more traditional, like the comic strip. Like you can literally pick out moments that are from the comic in the okay. first one. Whereas I don't think you can do that in the second one. Yeah, it's just preference. Like I, li- I like them both. I love them both. But yeah, to, to me, the second one's just, uh, yeah, sure. They're playing around in that sandbox a little more. But I don't think they're really playing around with anything I like all that much. Except Wednesday. Like Woo! if you... All of the Wednesday stuff is totally worth that second movie. Unfortunately, I think the I think Gomez and Morticia are really underutilized in the second movie. I think they might be my favorite parts of the first movie. I agree with you. There's so much more Gomez Morticia in the first one. I will disagree with you on Wednesday. I love Wednesday's story in the second one. I think she's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Christina Ricci is how she was able to act that character so well at such a young she's age. She's like eleven or something, right? Uh in this one, she's maybe six or seven. Yeah. I like Little Wednesday, I think, more than I like Big Wednesday. I love Preteen Wednesday and her storyline. Yeah. But she's so adorable in this little, like, macabre character. And when Fester's tucking her in at night and she crosses her arms yeah. over her chest to go to sleep. Like, I just love that. Yeah, exactly. It's little stuff like that that's brilliant. Yeah, she wants to kill her brother. Cool. Um, but also just how suspicious she is of Fester and how quiet she is about it. And she's just kind of always lurking in the corners watching him because she knows something's up. Um, yeah, all the women in the Adams family are suspicious. Miles ahead of the men in the Yeah, movie, right? they are so 
suspicious of Fester, like, um, Morticia is not on board. And she makes sure that he knows that, that she hasn't accepted him with open arms yet, because... Yeah. We gladly feast on those that would devour us. Subdue us. Oh, My mistake. You're new at this. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, too, because they she doesn't say anything to Gomez. She doesn't really say much to Fester directly. She definitely says, like... I'm watching you, mm. you fucking asshole. I know exactly who you are. Because she's just going to let it unravel. Like, she is smarter than all of them. Or not all of them, but she's smarter than him. And it's all going to blow up in his face. It's just a matter of time. So I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. I just want you to know, I won't be surprised. There's something really interesting about Angelica Houston's portrayal of Morticia mm -hmm. in both movies, but primarily this movie. It's almost not a caricature for... <laughs> For a character who's part of this, like, grand, morbid family, and they are kind of all caricatures, like, you get these one-liner quips about how, like, goth they are, and how this is a standard family thing, and now this is how the goths do it. When they're going through the, when they're going through the wardrobe at the beginning, like, Uncle's, Uncle Knick-Knack's summer wardrobe, Uncle Knick-Knack's winter wardrobe. Uncle Knick-Knack. Exactly. Yeah, but... Morticia is really calm and stoic, and for a movie about, like, embodying those one-liners and being comedic and silly, like, listen to the rap that closes the movie. Like, it's a okay. silly movie. Yeah. Um, Morticia is just this, like, vision of gothic embodiment. Like, I just want to be her. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's up in the morning just clipping the roses off stems, putting that in a vase. It's brilliant. She's just so calm. Like, everybody's so zany. Even Gomez is zany. Like, he has his really weird uh, rant. He does he does rant in each film, because we'll get into that later. They're both essentially the same film. They really are. <laughs> um, but his rant, where he goes to defend himself in court when Fester's uh, <laughs> locking them out, it's so silly and so zany. And Raul Julia plays it perfect. Like, he's such a kooky, lovable Gomez. But Morticia is, apart from her speaking French, like... Mm -hmm. You could cut her out and paste her in Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween. Yeah. She's, she's not, she's the least campy of the bunch. Agreed. But she really fits. She does. And I think it's because for how restrained she is, Raul Julius Gomez is super over the top and explosive and boisterous. And he's, he's, he's got a, such a huge personality and he can't be contained. And everything about Morticia is, is tightly wound inside her. And like, you know, there's more going on, but you just can't get more of it. But it's, it's really cool when you see kind of the evolution of the Adamses in the second one, how Wednesday is coming into her own as, She's kind of following Morticia's footsteps. She's mm -hmm. she's not zany like her dad is, but she's got her fun. Like and when neither she's is trying Pugsley. To kill her. Like Pugsley is way more like his uncle. Yeah, Pugsley is definitely a fester. Oh, oh well, Pubert. here we go though. I was gonna say exactly. Yeah, Pubert is the new Gomez. Yeah, because he true. even looks like him. He's, He's got, got a mustache. mustache. <laughs> <laughs> He's He's drinking brandy as a child. Um... But more, like, back on the first one. We can't, we're gonna keep crisscrossing for sure. It's hard. I was gonna be like, is the train in the second one? The train is in the first okay, one. Okay, I was like, which one has the train? Because I want to talk about the oh, train. Oh, the train, like, shook me to my fucking core as a kid. I don't know what it is, but it terrified me. I thought it was so fucking cool. Like, the idea that he is having this nervous breakdown because his brother is back home, but his brother is not his brother. And uh, he's just taking all of his anger and his frustration out on this train set. And then we zoom in to see that there's a real person just commuting to work inside that train set while he... He is laughing maniacally. I don't know. It's that's like something out of a nightmare. It just it gets me. Yeah, that is definitely like nightmare logic. It makes me wonder if they keep little people around in those train sets just so he can crash the train and kill them. I'm sure they normally arrive to work safely. I'm sure he's quite a competent conductor, but uh, <laughs> because you're right, he's got this thing where he also begins to suspect that Fester's not Fester, but he can't admit it to himself because he's so happy to have him back mm -hmm. and it's really weird at the end of the movie when they do that recap and they're like oh don't you remember he's actually fester because it turns out that she found dr pinderschlau oh. who's uh fake fester's mom is oh, actually oma oma he is your brother <laughs> um <laughs> I love her excuse when they come into Gomez, like, oh, no, 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 it's displacement. 
He's like, yes, displacement, how inspired. <laughs> yeah, she has found him. He has amnesia. He's in the Bermuda Triangle. And you never come out of the Bermuda Triangle the same. They find him tangled in a net? Is that what she said? Yeah. You think that's true? You think she's really telling how she found him? Yeah, but it was 25 years ago and yeah. he had complete amnesia, so she just took him on as her son. Yes. And kind of like her lackey. Yeah, well, he's got like inhuman strength. Like, yeah. He's her muscle. She's a loan shark, and the plan is to shake down enough people that they can just go vacation forever. But it turns out that he was actually Fester. Fester's come home. But they do against it against all odds. They do it in such a throwaway scene. Eh, they, I, I think they're it. telling cousin it, and they're like, "Don't you remember? It is actually Fester." <laughs> in the that's my cousin it. Oh, <laughs> do you think? Very good. Can I can I, can I put a pin in this for a second? Mm-hmm. Do you think cousin it has a beard? No. You don't? You think he's clean shaven underneath all that hair? I think he's just hair. I think if you parted oh, it, it's d- just hair. That raises some very gross, serious questions about their child. Fantasy logic. Okay. The stork brought it. Got it. This makes sense now. <laughs> um, what I was going to say is in the screenplay, Fester is supposed to be an imposter. He is actually. The, the then, entire time. And he becomes quote-unquote fester like at he, the end like he just uh, because he he falls in love with the family and they kind of take him on as their own he just becomes fester yeah i honestly love that more i used to flip-flop as a kid like that's what i thought it was and then the more i watched it growing up like no i think it's actually I, fester i always thought it was too and then you watch the ending you're like oh i guess it was fester um it, it would they be didn't allude to it maybe they kind of did but what happened was while they were filming the entire cast pleaded with the director. They actually sent Christina Ricci to plead on their behalf (laughs) that they wanted him... six-year-old girl. They wanted him to be, like... Did she do it as Wednesday Addams? Probably. I please, Fester is my uncle. He's my uncle for real. What if she did deadpan, though, like, Fester's my uncle? (laughs) Don't make me get the producers. (laughs) Uh, So they did. So that kind of, I guess, explains why it was a little bit... Um, thrown in at the end. Maybe yeah. they were mostly complete of the film. And but how would an imposter know the mamushka? That's kind of the fun thing about Adam's family logic, though. Like may- Everybody's family. Yeah, and like Morticia is not a blood Adams, but she's an Adams. You know what I mean? Like, you can become an Adams. You, you just need to be fam- Adams in your core. You're right. That's, that's all you need. You just need a black heart and, uh, and a big wide open heart, really. Cause you're right. They seem like the nicest people in the world. Yeah. They are your ideal American family who invites everybody in, never suspects anything poorly of anyone. They, they, they look at, they suspect the best of everyone. They are eternally optimistic. They just happen to have the quirky interests. Yeah. Like they donate to charity auctions. Right. <laughs> like, they donate to charity auctions in the craziest way possible. <laughs> I'm going to donate this item. It's it's an antique. It's from the Russian... Russian? It's from the Chinese Empire. It's going to take you at least 65 grand, of which I will pay. <laughs> I mean, apart from them killing those carolers at the beginning, they're pretty stand-up citizens. Oh, yeah. On a, what's crazy is that I think if you were to take the aristocracy as it existed a few hundred years ago and bring it to modern day, they would be exactly like the Adams family. Maybe they wouldn't necessarily be as as fun and happy and welcoming as the modern Adams family, but they would have had that dark obsession with their tortured past Mm -hmm. walking through a graveyard that you have on your own property of all your relatives and obsessing over their deaths and their legacy seems like something of the old world like not much has really changed i would say it's only within maybe the last hundred years that that dark look at life and your own family uh shifted more toward like happy peaceful things like a nice picket, white picket fence. Well, people don't have cemeteries in their backyards anymore, if that's what you mean. Everybody's got cemeteries in their backyards if they have pets. Come yeah, on, people. That's so true. So true. Yeah. So, at some point, the Adams family gets kicked out. And uh, that leads me to some of my favorite moments in this movie. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we're going to talk later about how both movies kind of mirror each other. I do think that Gomez's breakdown uh, in the motel where they have moved out is fucking gold. I don't love the motel sequence as much as I remember loving it as a kid. Is it because it stands out? It was my favorite part as a kid because I loved seeing them interact with the real world. Yes! And how 
Um, like when they interact with the Girl Scout yeah. and with their like poisonous lemonade and stuff. I love that stuff. And when Wednesday has cereal and she's just like, Ugh. Yeah, she can't <laughs> handle it. Yeah, like the, where is the slimy, gooey monster that's usually in my plate? I wish the movie was more of that. I wish they got kicked out at the midway point rather than like three quarters in. I wanted to see them in that kind of fish out of water environment for more of the movie. I think you would have uh, forgiven the kind of slow plot a bit mm. if we had more, I don't know, like interesting Adam's hijinks. They spent a lot of time being like, this is the Adam's family in their environment. But then the second half of the movie is all uh, Fester and his mom trying to find the right lever. <laughs> I don't know, though, because the, they go to the school to see the play and they go to the auction. Like, they're 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 the fish out of water through tons of scenes of the movie. I guess that's true. Like, they interact with real people all the time and it's always weird. And those are some of the best parts. Like, you've got an entire room full of adults mortified that these kids are performing Shakespeare. Like, nothing really crazy, just fucking Shakespeare with a little bit of blood. <laughs> uh, and... You know, they're, they're giving it a standing ovation and everybody else is, is just like pale white face covered in blood. Uh, or they're at the auction and, uh, you know, maybe they're getting a little too excited about that auction. <laughs> but the, the point is everybody else around them is just like, this is fucking crazy. I don't understand what's happening. And for them, it's just, it's just Tuesday. They are really into that auction. <laughs> they are so into that auction. There's nothing hotter than spending cash, Kim. <laughs> Uh, yeah, see, I, I, the, the, the way that you're having trouble seeing it from my side of the fence, I, I'm having a really hard time not understanding why you don't like this one more. Like, with everything I know about you, and, you know, like, this is, this is a Death Becomes Her. Um, maybe that's a bad example. Death Becomes Her's got plenty of campy material in it, but... If you know anything about me, I'm all about camp. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I, I would say that the first movie's pretty campy, too. Ah, man, I don't know what it is. I, you know what? I know, I can't think I know exactly what it is. I like Fester way more in the first movie than I do in the second movie. In the second movie, he's just kind of a pathetic guy who's really self-conscious and can't talk to anybody and uh, is... Fester is the same character I was, in this movie. I was just about to say easily taken advantage of. But <laughs> that's exactly what's going on. I love... Both plots are the same. He's got a domineering mother in the first one. And he's got a domineering wife in the second okay, one. Okay, well then maybe my favorite thing is Grandma. Like, I think Grandma is way better in the I first I will agree. Movie. I don't necessarily love the portrayal of Grandma in the second one. I think she's too silly. Yeah. First Grandma is, um, is really good. I haven't looked it up, but I'm... Gonna go ahead and assume that maybe that that actress was not around anymore to fulfill that role. Just a guess, which is unfortunate, but because it seems like they got everybody else back, including a Girl Scout girl, Girl Scout guide, yeah, selling cookies, who became the what's her name? When Amanda? I think you're right. The character's name is Amanda. Yeah, she became Wednesday's rival at camp mm -hmm. in the second one, which I can't wait to talk about. Okay. Do you want to do your ratings on this one? Is there any other scenes and moments you want to talk about? It's really hard. Um, I. We're kind of like freewheeling a little bit. I think if we just move on it's and get hard, to the second one, we can talk blur, about both movies. They all blur together. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they are exactly the same story. I, w I would love to spend more time talking about this, but let's let's get into everybody else's favorite Adams Family values. Uh, my rating for the Adams Family, the OG, four out of four. Cool. I'm a three point five out of four. Oh well, it's interesting to see how these ratings might be mirrored in the second half of the episode. All right. What news? Father, what is it? It's an Adams. <laughs> he has my father's eyes. Gomez, take those out of his mouth. <gasps> He's an adorable little baby. Fine. Rub it in. Children, why do you hate the baby? We don't hate him. We just want to play with him. Especially his head. You'll meet someone, someone very special. Someone who won't press charges. Isn't he a lady killer? Acquitted. Women must follow you everywhere. Store detectives. And the stork flew down from heaven and turned into a baby. Our parents had sex. The Adams Family Values from 1993, currently sitting at a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 3.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. 
One thing I did want to say that mm-hmm. I didn't get to in that last thing, but it doesn't really matter because we're still talking about the same movie, sort of. Yep. The first film was, the original screenplay was written by, I can't remember their names, but basically everyone who had their hand in all of Tim Burton's greatest hits. Oh. Uh, Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Bumbleboard or something, I think is the person's name. And I read somewhere that Tim Burton was supposed to do this movie, but I think they offered it to him and he was like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, and they passed it to Barry Sonnefeld, who, great job. Like, he's got such a good whimsy for it. Same as, like, Tim Burton has a great whimsy and stuff, but. And Barry Sonnefeld, cinematographer turned director, and I think you can really see that in the Adams family. Uh, and he, like, he has a tone that he sort of sits, uh, tone that he sticks to, uh, which, you know, you see in the Men in Black movies. Yeah, like, you watch the Men in Black films, and you can definitely see, with without anything that you can necessarily put into words, like, oh, I would believe he did the Adams Family movies. Yeah. It's just a little quirky. It's, yeah, it's this strange world that exists around you that you're not necessarily aware of. Mm-hmm. For the Adams Family, that's the whole world. <laughs> um, but for Men in Black, it's everything else. So the second film, we have our newly acquired Fester Adams in the house. We have the full unit. They're finally together. Now the only way they can sweeten the cherry on the top is to find Fester, his his Morticia, get him his life partner. (laughs) Which is interesting. In the first movie, we start with Gomez sort of walking through the empty hallways in Fester's bedroom, and he's... He's depressed, like he's upset, and he wants to find his brother. And in the second movie, in Values, we have Fester howling at the moon in despair, loneliness, like searching for the other half of him that is is nowhere to be found. Just, just want to put it out there that Fester is not unlike a Frankenstein character. Uh huh. And the Frankenstein sequel, mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, I didn't see where you were going with this. And as we all know, Fester means to rot, um, much like a Frankenstein person. Do you think Frankenstein rots at all? I guess because he's got life. He's. I think he's pretty he's, rotten he's to begin healing. with. Don't you don't think the wounds heal? You think his arms just gonna fall off as he goes? Yeah. Well, they do. Like they heal in. Um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the movie. The movie. Yeah. With. Robert De Niro. It's weird that you now have to say Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would like to assume that he stops rotting at that point. Like he's at whatever point at animation. Yeah. But it's pretty damn rotted. Got it. Like he well, is wouldn't you pick the a cholera parts? body. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like having a broke down car. Like no matter what, you're always going to have to fix more of it. Which really answers that age old question. If you, if you have to change the handle on an axe and then the head on the axe, is it still the same axe? The, if, you, if you get into him healing and stuff, though, then you have to start putting things in the organs like fuel, and he's going to, like, stop to eat a Big Mac for real. <laughs> so Fester's a lot like Frankenstein. He eats a lot of food, he's constantly in search for a bride, and he will murder you if you do not do his bidding. Um, the last part's mostly untrue. <laughs> Like that whole bit is untrue. <laughs> sure, but we open the Adams Family Values with Morticia, Morticia announcing that she is uh, surprising the entire family with one, I'm pregnant. Two, it's coming right now. Which, if you watch the first one right beforehand, and she announces her pregnancy, and then does it again in the second one at the very beginning, you're like, yeah, we got that joke at the end of the first one. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that at the end of the first one. <laughs> Where she's knitting that onesie, and it's got three legs. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, the beginning of the second one with Morticia going into labor right away really introduces you to how much campier the logic is in this one. The first one had that semi-fantasy logic. It was mostly grounded in reality. The second one is a lot odder. And it's more done for like tongue-in-cheek humor. You don't see that Morticia's pregnant at any point in the labor scene. She's being run on a gurney and you can't see her belly. Yeah, either it's Gomez obscuring it or her own feet from a from a wide shot or from a tight shot at the, the bottom of the gurney. And she gives birth to a toddler with, <laughs> with, with a full-out mustache and like a black hairdo, which is like done for laughs, but that's a toddler. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of the movie, I, I will say, really sets the tone. You're absolutely right. But it's so weird. <laughs> but great. So Wednesday and Pugsley keep trying to kill the baby. Yeah. Now they have something to work for together, though, right? Like, this is great for them. 
Well, Wednesday's logic is that they now that they have a boy, they don't need another one. So that's the only reason why Pugsley's working with her because they oh, assume that right. he's going to get murdered because they don't have they don't they need to keep the girl. Yeah, if if the parents have a baby, they have to murder one of the other children. <laughs> something that they actually believe. So Gomez and Morticia decide that they're going to hire a nanny, mm-hmm. and then there's that montage of. The nanny? kids interviewing the nanny. I'm not sure whether or not the kids have interviewed the nannies. Or if they've hired the nannies and then... And the nannies are just introducing themselves. Okay. Um, And they don't make it past, like, that first hour. No. Ever. <laughs> and, like, it's so much so that the nanny service is is empty. Like, they've just been sending person after person after person to fulfill this order, but it's just not getting delivered. And I'm sure they're paying them pretty well. I mean... Yeah. Well, they're loaded. First off, we know the Adams family is loaded, but I don't know if you remember overhearing that everybody in this movie is stupid rich because according to according to one of the parents at camp, it was $20,000 to send their kid to camp. Oh my god. Like $20,000 and he has to play like the the Indian chief. I don't remember what it his character's name is. To be honest, I don't even think that's a lot for like prestigious summer camp. Are you fucking kidding me? It's 6 weeks. Oh, oh, okay. You don't think you could put... I could put on a summer camp for a hundred kids with $20,000 in yeah, six you, weeks. Yeah, you probably could. Right? Yeah, but for rich kids, like, I'm... Oh, fine. Whatever. It doesn't even look like it's that rich of a camp. They have a stage, and they have a guitar for Kumbaya. It That's sounds, the whole point, though. It's rustic. Oh, okay. You've won me over here. <laughs> this makes total sense. Though you're paying for the, like, the prestige of your kids are going to be hanging out with and brushing up with other rich kids. Yeah. It's all good breeding, John. Yeah, you're not you're not actually paying for your kids to brush up with other rich kids. You're paying for your kids not to brush up with the poor kids. With the regular kids. That's the price of entry. That's really what it is. Yeah. You're not gonna be doing archery with plebs. No. I love that all the kids getting getting to that camp are just like their parents. Like you've got all these boys who are like, hey, Archie old so-and-so. <laughs> Joan Cusack shows up. She is claiming to be another nanny that the... That the services... The nanny facility has sent. Yeah, a buggy baby bouncer baby service. Exactly. Like yeah. um, uh, turns out she's a serial killer in disguise. She has come to woo Fester, marry him, murder him, and take his money, like a black widow should. The children are on to her very quickly. Well, so. yeah, they catch her rifling through, like, all of his deeds and stocks and bonds. Like, ooh, so rich, can't wait to murder you. <gasps> wait a minute. Is there a kid over there in the corner <laughs> looking at me? So she convinces Gomez and Morticia to send the kids to camp. Thus ensues the best B-plot in the Adams Family twoquels. We're not talking about that third film because it does not count. She does not have to convince the parents very hard that they want to go to camp. She says, I know this is crazy. It's going to sound nuts. They want to go to camp. And she really just kind of has to say, like, no, seriously, they told me, but they're embarrassed to tell you they want to go to camp. Why are you fighting with the logic of this movie? And then here we go. Convenient camp. Yes. And even when we get there. Convenient, but it's all with the logic. It is the logic. So so when the kids are like, please do not leave us here. Take us home. It's funny. (laughs) I guess every kid says that. There's... I can, I can never remember a time going to camp where I was like, oh my god, so happy to be here. All the people who hate me are also here. Okay, guys, see you later. Bye. And that's the joke, too, though, is kids never want to fucking go to camp. And the yeah. parents are like, gotta get rid of you for a few weeks. I don't know. Like, I, I listen to kids on podcasts or adults on podcasts talk about camp like it was the fucking height of their life. In retrospect. Maybe. But they also didn't have to leave video games. Now you have to leave video games. Yeah. Can you imagine just having camp friends and then, like, staying in contact with them, like pen pals? I remember friends that had pen pals, and I was like, what is this? That's a lot of work. I had a pen pal, like, once. We, yeah, we did. For, like, a letter. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. They they did that pen pal program in school where I was like, hey, you want to talk to some kid in a different country? And I was like, sure. And we sent each other a letter, and we were both just like, yeah, none of us want to do this again. That was fun. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Wow. Look at your stamps. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, England. My writing is better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) I've already won letter writing. I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, camp life. Fuck. Um... And the counselors at that camp. I, I can, love them. Oh, they're great. They're they're awesome. And I, I, I can never remember that actor's name. He is absolutely genius in everything he's in. Ghostbusters 2, House Guest. Camp counselors might be my favorite part of uh, Camp Chippewa. That's it, right? Chippewa, yeah. you got that Chippewa <laughs> spirit. But only because they are unhinged. 
they're crazy people. Eh. <laughs> they're just pretentious white people and they're 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 promising like we're gonna be inclusive and we're gonna like everybody and everybody's gonna be nice but it really only means everybody like us and you really see yeah. that when they're they're casting uh gary's vision the play uh, yeah the the thanksgiving play in the middle of summer i know it's i don't understand it it's kind of weird but it works it's because they're doing this pilgrim versus pocahontas thing Pocahontas at Thanksgiving, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um, he's he's <laughs> he's a red-blooded American male. Pocahontas is one of the only Native Americans he knows. So they obviously cast the popular girls yeah. as the lead pilgrims because they get everything in life. And uh, all the geeks and all the dweebs and the weird kids at the back of the camp. It's really are... just kids that don't have names like Amanda and and Gerald, right? Like J- J- Jamal. Jamal? I don't know. <laughs> like she just she can't even pronounce Consuela. It's pretty great. And meanwhile, while the kids are at camp, Debbie has wooed Fester. They go on like one double date with Morticia and Gomez. Oh yeah. Um, and now it's it's a done deal. Yeah, Morticia and Gomez do a sweet tango while Fester like kicks potatoes with his fork. I don't even know if he does that. I think he just puts breadsticks in his nose. He does put breadsticks in his nose. My favorite part about that whole thing, though, he's got the breadsticks in his nose. He's like, eh? 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 And when we cut back, uh, he's he's playing with the breadsticks again, and when she looks back at him, he's like, oh, shit, and he, j- he jams him back in, like, right? Right? Still funny? Still, like, he's got one move, and it's not good. <laughs> so he marries Debbie. Uh, they have a ceremony in the back graveyard. It's all romantic. Yeah, a wedding in a graveyard at night? I would go to that wedding. Which is so funny, because if if Debbie wasn't actively trying to murder Fester, she would fit in in that family perfectly. Absolutely. She dug up Fester and Gomez's mother to get her engagement ring. That's so funny. That's great. That's that's an Adam's move right there. <laughs> they did that at the end of the movie. They woke the dead. Debbie could be the ideal Adam's. But, she could uh, be. Like, she should be Fester's counterpart, only he's kind of a buffoon and she's, like, too cool for him. Yeah, but, but what sets her apart from the Adams, and what sets everybody else in the world who ha- who is weird apart from the Adams, at least in the movie world, is that she's evil. Like, there is no bad bone in the Adams family. Sure, we joke around. They've killed some people. <laughs> Maybe. But it was all in good fun. They had it coming. They volunteered. Like, we, they, they put out a Kijiji ad, say, wanted people to die from hot tar. And they, <laughs> the, the eight people replied. And they, oddly enough, said, would you mind if we caroled first? And they said, we would be remiss not to grant you your dying See, wish. but with that weird kind of, like, fantasy logic, I don't think they actually have killed anyone. No, I don't think so Because they're stand-up either. citizens. They're just a little weird. Yeah, exactly. But you're right, Debbie is totally evil, and I love her so much. Joan Cusack is such a great villain. She is so good in this, and Debbie is such a fun character. But pastels, Debbie. But yeah, if she wasn't so greedy, like she could have had everything. I guess what it comes down to, right? I think it's more than greed. I think she just wants to kill. Yeah, well, and... She finds excuses. I think so, too, because she's she's killed quite a few rich husbands, and she's spending so much money that she has to keep doing it to, like, live up this lifestyle. It's a pretty big-ass lifestyle. She's got a mansion. But also, there's... I'm I'm not saying, like, this hurts the movie or whatsoever. It's it's just fun to me that she's the Black Widow. People know that she's the Black Widow, and she kills people on their honeymoons. Uh, but when she's giving her slideshow presentation, and she explains the men that she's killed in her life... How can you not see that slideshow scene and not be like, yes, this movie is the better of the two? Whoa, okay! Whoa! You know the problem with that slideshow scene? She brought scene slides! Is that we have a... <laughs> She's doing her big monologue, and it's got that fucking campy-ass logic that she's aware that she's a villain in her yeah. final monologue. I love and it. she's showing, like, it's so good. It is great. No one's saying it's bad. We're not fighting, I know. Him. I'm just, I'm just... Put your gloves down. I'm just saying. But it's it's intercut with all of, like, the slapsticky baby falling in a room Goldberg machine. I don't like the baby stuff. <laughs> I pretend that that whole baby adventure isn't in that movie. Me too. <laughs> because it's, Despite, it's yeah. uneventful too. Like he ends up in the thing and then unplugs a cord. Like all that fucking bowling ball. He unplugs a this... cord and then reroutes the electricity, Kim. Like there's some fourth out there. He knows what he's doing. What a smart baby. He's an Adams. He's a natural. Yeah, apart from sending Wednesday to camp, like I don't really care about the baby at all. 
he's cute at the end. He's got a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, that whole, like, blonde baby subplot, like, I don't follow that either. <laughs> that's weird. But, I mean, it makes for some great scenes. Yeah, it's funny. And Gomez dying and stuff, and that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Or even just Morticia reading Cat in the Hat, flipping through to the end and going, oh, he survives. So much like the first one. Like, all the things are the are the same. Like, oh. Gomez has his breakdown. Gomez yep. has a weird off-the-wall tirade. The first yep. one, it's to a lawyer. The second one, it's to Nathan Lane, the cop. I will say the second one is better in his little tirade to Nathan Lane. is is so much better than the lawyer. Uh, what else is the same? Um... They don't get kicked More out of Morticia reading to children is yep. the same. Yep. <laughs> Her explaining the like, Hansel, and, Hansel and Gretel story to those kids is fucking gold. Because she does it from the perspective of the witch, and she really gets into those kids' heads. <laughs> they are crying by the end of it. And so they should. You don't put a goddamn witch in the oven. Just because she wanted to eat some kids, what's wrong with that? But yeah, the whole villain situation, you have, like, the villain tied to Fester. Mm -hmm. And how they are all essentially manipulative women that are trying to take Fester away from the Adams family. Yeah, and, like, instead of getting kicked out of their home in the second one, Fester is separated from them. Yeah. it's It really is about Gomez fighting to get his brother back at all costs. Yeah. I love when he's talking to Nathan Lane. He's like, I swear, they have a Buick! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she has enslaved him <laughs> yeah with love they make passionate love all day like i hate it when that happens uh i think they cast nathan lane actually because he played um gomez on broadway before the movie mm -hmm, i that's think so interesting. that's pretty cool mm -hmm. i'd like to see that i would too he's awesome he's awesome in everything he was um max bialystock and the producers i know but we don't talk about that yeah <laughs> It is Isn't Matthew sub... Broderick in it? Matthew Broderick does a good job. He's no Gene Wilder, but I mean, who is? I don't like Matthew Broderick. It's mainly because of how many times I was subjected to that terrible Christmas movie. Which Christmas? Oh, one, Jack the Halls. The one with um, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. And they're fighting about Christmas. And you're like, why? Yeah, the movie's nuts. It makes no sense. Why? <laughs> the War Games is good. Ferris Bueller's Day Off's great. You love The Lion King. See The Lion King? Yeah, he's grown-up Simba. Akuna Matata. <laughs> He's in the Stepford Wives. He's awesome. Yeah. I guess I just don't believe him. He is an eternal boy. He looks like, as an adult, he looks like a sociopath. He looks well, like he's, he did accidentally or he's kill always somebody imploding internally. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Debbie's my favorite part of this movie. I think she's hilarious. She uh, yeah, yeah. rises entirely above Fester's mom in the first one. She's like a worthy adversary of the Adams family. Yeah, Fester's mom in the first one's not that great. And Tully's just, like, a greedy prick, but I mean... Eh. Yeah, he's not an awful guy, he's just a desperate guy. But There's Fest a plot there where, like, he's just doing it to save his marriage, and then his marriage falls apart because yeah. of the Adam's cousin. Yeah. Swept in and took her. Swooped in? Swept in? That's not a word. Swept in? Swept in and took her. <laughs> uh, she, they, they were a shitty marriage anyway. She's way better off. But, I mean, like, the real enemy in, in the first movie is Fester. And he needs to realize it and come to terms and accept it and move on and, and and hurricane the bad guys out of the house. They really lean on that library being a um a literal book thing where like, oh what's inside the book is outside the book when you open it. They do that like seven times, John. I know it's so that they can do it in the finale, but we know the books are what books they are. I love it. Every time they do it, I think it's great. Yeah, there's one scene where they come into the office and Tully's just sunbathing with one of the books. Yeah! You don't want that book? No, it's great. You'd never you'd never use it. You're like, tanning, no thank you. <laughs> 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 is there anything else you'd like to talk about in this movie? Uh, I just want to say that this movie plays like four back-to-back -back episodes of The Simpsons. It does. Whether or not those episodes that this movie is very similar to came before this movie or after, I do not care. Mm -hmm. They like this movie maybe slight rips of The Simpsons. I I've yeah. always assumed it was rips of The Simpsons because I kind of grew up with The Simpsons. And I was like, oh my god, this is live action The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh but it's got my same sense of humor. I guess that's why I like it better, because it's it's so quirky and campy. And then it also embodies that, like, gothic side, which I consider myself to be all of those things. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this movie's more me, and therefore I like it more. <laughs> yeah, and the first one, for whatever reason, is more me. I guess it's because it's less cartoonish is part of it, I think. 
I like them both. I just happen to like the first one more, and I don't really have, like, an incredible reason why. It's just, like, some of my favorite shots, my favorite moments are all in it. I like the tone. I like the humor more in the first one. What? But I laugh my ass off throughout both of them, and I enjoy every minute of both of them. Despite the fact that the Adams Family Values implies that electricity does not harm them. Like, they are superheroes, and their one superpower is that they cannot die from electricity. I just assume that, like, Fester takes it all, because he was... Yeah, it's... it's a, I think it's a matter of, like, a, a lifelong... a lifelong buildup of tolerance. Because isn't Fester just electricity? <laughs> He's not like, oh, but you mean because he can put a light bulb in his mouth and it'll light at any time? Yeah. I think that's just because he's been electrocuting himself his entire life, that he's got electricity running through him, yeah. Mm -hmm. I figure he's like the ground. Like, the whole Adams family was hooked up to that machine at the end. Oh, my God. And... Sorry, do you know much about electricity and how it works? No. Okay. <laughs> not at all. Do you have a positive... I know that if you are in a car mm -hmm. and a live wire falls on you... <laughs> Stay in the car. <laughs> but do you know why? Because the tires are grounded. <laughs> now, when you say grounded in your head, are you thinking the tires are touching the ground and that's what grounded means? No, they are non-conducting or I don't know. The, the, Tire, rubber doesn't conduct electricity. Yeah, exactly. So um, if you were to step out, what's happening is... is it's You become the ground, and exactly. you connect the circuit! So, okay, so with electricity, you have a positive and a negative, and the, uh, the, the current is, is, for the most part, alternating between both of them. Uh, we'll, we'll just say between, like, it's... Fun fact. Going between both. The ground, there, now, it's not absolutely consistent, and any sort of... And any sort of difference between the two of them gets displaced between or into the ground. That's what you're you really passionate about this electricity. I read a book on Nikola Tesla, <laughs> and I kind of think I know a little bit of electricity, despite the fact that I'm absolutely talking through my ass right now. Okay, carry on. I just wanted to let you know how impassioned you were for a for a brief moment. <laughs> well, no, no, I just think it's genius because in the first movie we're talking about displacement and. And um, Fester is, like, that key that's sort of keeping the entire family together. And, like, there's positivity and there's negativity. But they need somebody right down the middle to really connect the two of them and sort of tie that displacement together. He really is grounding that family. And it's funny that he's he's got electricity running through him. I, I am drawing loose conclusions. And it's mostly thanks to uh, the David Lynch episode we just did. Uh, and my brain still thinks that everything means something and it's all connected and we can just kind of figure out the code. Do you have any other final thoughts on Adam's Family Values or Adam's Family? Would you, would you like to maybe talk about Thing at least once in this episode? Does he, he doesn't have anything to do other than, like, appear in a few scenes, right? Um, he hits Debbie with a car in the second one, Adam's Family Values. How does he drive a car? Kim. Uh, How does he deliver mail at a at an office? Doesn't it's, he wear roller skates? No, he <laughs> no just he's on a skateboard. Yeah, yeah, he, he pulls just... a skateboard. How does he arm wrestle? Like, come on. <laughs> These are all fantastic. What if he's like the invisible man? Oh my God. And there's God. like actually a dude attached to him? Or he's like a half of him's a ghost. Maybe it's just like floating along behind him. If he happens to be an invisible man, uh, it's crazy that he still insists on making it look like he's walking <laughs> he's on the walking. floor. I do, 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 do. I, I have no Maybe idea. Maybe it just it was more comfortable for everybody rather than like a, like a disembodied hand just like floating up behind them. Yeah, like, <laughs> why, why is he saluting with nothing? It's like, <laughs> no, he's like the dog. He's he's Gomez's best friend. Aww. He's like the family pet. That's how I've always looked at it. They had a pet in the cartoon. I think it was a giant like tiger or not a tiger, like a leopard. That sounds cool. Yeah. Aslot. What's the name of that? Ocelot. Ocelot? I'm sure it wasn't an ocelot. Is, it, is that, yeah? Okay, that's how it's pronounced? I think it's like an ocelot. I don't know. Okay. But they had a house cat. That's cool. An Adam's cat. I would expect the Adam's family to have a big-ass cat, not a dog. I would just picture them to have a shit ton of black cats. Like, there's just, like, <laughs> like 36 black cats. Lurch is constantly exhausted taking care of these fucking cats. <laughs> and the cats make sure they always cross somebody's path. Yeah, and there's an episode where they keep trying to, like, stop Grandmama from putting them in soup. That'd be okay. Yeah. I do like Thing, though. He's great. He doesn't say a goddamn word. How good is Gomez at golf to f to have a hand holding his golf ball and not be worried about breaking all three of his fingers? I think he's probably just awful at it, <laughs> but Thing trusts him. All right. 
Okay, so what's your rating of Adam's Family Values? My rating for Adam's Family Values is 3.5. I'm also a 3.5. Okay. So you don't love either of these. I love both of these movies, but... Did you just strong arm me into making this movie the better movie? No. My movie's the better movie. Agreed! <laughs> I love both of the movies, but you're right. There's some scenes that I could give or take on either of them. I think Debbie is the best villain ever. I love the campy comedy of the second one. It is my preferred movie. Yeah. But in in saying that it's like the best movie ever, I'm totally ignoring that entire baby sequence in the third act that I don't really enjoy. Yeah. I'm like, why is this baby swinging down banisters and stuff? Like, that's where I agree it's a little silly. The first one just feels it gets a little too Adam's Family vignette-y. Here's an Adam's Family cartoon, and here's an Adam's Family cartoon, and here's an Adam's Family cartoon, and I'm like, yeah, but what's the story? Where are we going? <laughs> I don't know. Um, the, as much as there is a plot that ties everything together in the second movie, every time we cut to the kids, or to Fester, or to Morticia and Gomez, I kind of feel like we're just like... Dropping in on a scene and dropping in on another scene. And as much as it all ties together at the end, it really, for me, feels just like cartoony vignettes that eventually tell a larger story. Yeah, the first one does feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of which, even though we kind of, we disagree a little bit, I, I think the first one's amazing. I think the second one is amazing. I think the second one's amazing, too. Uh, they're both really great. They're way better than they should be. Like, yeah. when you when you read the plot at face value, they don't sound like they're going to be good films, but they're both surprisingly enjoyable. Like, they're better than they deserve to be mm -hmm. for what they are. Yeah, I mean, like, of all of the remakes and revamps that came out of the 90s, like, it's much better than than any of the Monsters stuff. It's better than the Flintstones. I hate to say it because I fucking love the Flintstones. The first Flintstones is really oh, good. Oh, it's so great. It's better than the Brady Bunch and the I, I Love Genie. I Love Dare. What's the, Dream I, of Genie. And what's the other one? Bewitched. Bewitched. Where was the word love coming from? Um. Anyway, it's better, than, <laughs> it's better than all of those. And we got all of those in the 90s and the early 2000s. This one stands up as a movie that you would actually watch regardless of whether you grew up seeing The Addams Family. But one thing I did notice, and I had a lot of struggle doing um, with this episode, is that both of the movies really blend together for me. Mm. Um, for the longest time, I had a double feature DVD, and it had oh. both discs on it. So you just always watch them both. Uh, so I watched them, like, back-to-back, -back, one after the other. Uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I rented them separately, but in revisiting them in my teens and stuff, yeah, I watched these always as a double feature. So, when we were talking about the movies, I had no idea which which line was from which movie, which leads me to our Patreon game. Oh. I am going to put you to the test. Okay. Uh, over on Patreon, we're going to record a little bonus episode right after this, and I'm going to read you some quotes, and you need to tell me who said them, uh, and what movie of the two. Do I get bonus points if I do a good impression? No. No? You get two points. There's two point options for one question. You get what you get. <laughs> okay. So we are going to record that little bonus episode, which you can get at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street in exchange for supporting our show. And a quick little reminder from, from now to the end of the summer or while supplies last, uh, any new patron, regardless of your pledge amount, will receive a cinema cemetery enamel pin made by Nightmare on Film Street. They're really cool. It's a tombstone for either Beetlejuice or Jason Voorhees. Uh, and if you're an existing Patreon member, any increase in your pledge will also get you a new enamel pin plus whatever is included on your tier. Yeah. And that's just a fun little promo we're doing for the summer. Uh, obviously, while supplies last, if we run out, we run out. Yeah. Um, but if you are a new supporter, you're also going to get all the regular rewards that we offer. We have stickers, we have shout-outs, we have bonus episodes, full-length mini-episodes, there's games, there's all kinds of stuff over there. And we are recording another one right now, which will be over on Patreon. We are controlling transmission. This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds, coffee to die for. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee without any fancy names or titles. This week's blend is the Haunted House Blend, a rich, silky smooth, flavorful medium roast with an intoxicating aroma. 
Head over to getdeadly.ca to pick up your brew and use the promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's offer code NIGHTMARE at getdeadly.ca. But if you have a quick second, if you can leave us a quick five-star rating and review wherever you're grabbing this episode, really helps us get the show in front of more fiends. But that's it from us this week. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.